Hey, I, I want to welcome you to Mercy Road Church. If it's your first weekend here, thanks for coming out. Like, that's not common in today's culture for uh, people to prioritize, come together to worship and do this. And so, wherever you're at spiritually, thank you. And I really hope that really softly God speaks to you today through this message and that it might be life-changing for many of us in the room together today. I also want to talk to those who have been Christians a while, a part of the Mercy Road story. Thank you, guys. I've realized since I've been away the last three weeks that uh, we don't thank our volunteers enough. You guys are amazing, and I truly am thankful, and uh, there are some exciting things happening in the life of our church right now, and I can't wait to share that with you over the next uh, few weeks. But Hey, can we also thank Pastor Dana and Pastor Darren for preaching the last three weeks, man? I heard really good things and not easy to talk about generosity. And then Pastor Darren the last two weeks talking about relationships, honor and desire. Uh, how many of you needed that one? <laughs> yeah, how many of you don't want to raise your hand, but you definitely needed that one, right? Like, we all need it. And I was realizing as I was preparing to kick off this teaching series called No Regrets, something that I've been thinking about for a while, that really, the last three weeks, the month of June, talking about our spiritual gifts, even all the way back to May, for those who have been a part of Mercy Road, the Pit Stop series about prioritizing prayer in our life, there's a reason we talk about all these things that we should do as Christians and how we should live, because it's not easy, is it? Like, if it was easy, we wouldn't have to talk about it. There's a reason that we have to talk about it. It's not easy. And I was reminded of a story I heard recently of an awesome, loving Christian couple who just loved the Lord, loved each other, and the husband found out he had an illness. They went into the doctor, and the doctor pulled the wife aside, and she said, he said to her, I'm sorry, but uh, you know, the, the illness is going to be terminal, that he's not going to make it. However, if he takes this particular medication... And do everything I prescribe for you to do for him, there's a 93% success rate that he won't die. But it's going to require a completely reorienting your life. You're going to have to start praying for him. You're, he was a Christian doctor. You're going to have to start uh, making sure you make three square meals a day because he's not going to be able to take care of many of the chores at home anymore. You're going to have to mow the lawn. You're going to have to do everything. You're going to have to make sure he gets sleep and that he eats the right nutritious meals. And you're going to have to care for him and love him and, and really treat him as another child. And he said, if you do all these things, there's a chance he's going to make it. And the tears started coming down her face. And she walked back out into the lobby and ran up and gave her husband a hug and looked him square in the eyes and said, Honey, I'm sorry, the doctor said you're going to die. <laughs> and that's... Obviously not a true story, but it's true about most of our lives, isn't it? Like, relationships are hard. Husbands, sometimes we give up trying because we lose hope and we think things can't change. And, and wives, we do the same thing. And, and those of you in your dating life that you want things to look differently than they have, but to actually change them would require some things. And it's not easy, it's hard. To say that I'm going to start being a generous person, that takes actual life change in your finances. The thing we care almost most about is Americans, right? So it's not easy. It's, it's hard. What, what I want to do in the next three weeks together is to give you hope that you and I could actually change things in our society and our culture today. That the reality of that story of the person dying, that all of us are going to die 
at some point. You would agree with that every human being, unless you're a couple people in the Bible. And the first one I want to share with you, uh, the first passage is our theme verse for this series, Psalm 39, 4 and 5. The psalmist writes, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. Doesn't life just seem to pass you by so quickly? My son is nine years old now, nine and a half soon. And I look at, like, I could still see him when he was like a little baby and we'd have to change his diaper. How many of you that have adult children, like you can remember, it seems like yesterday that you were the one changing their diapers. And some of you still have adult children that you're still changing their diapers, right? And some of you adult children like me, you've become somebody that now is investing in somebody. They change so quickly and one day it's like they can't even crawl and the next day they're running around the house. Like life just seems to pass so quickly. I want to make the most use of my time. Verse 5, you made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you, God. Everyone is but a breath, even those that seem secure. Our life is here one day. And it's, it's gone the next. Seems like it's that quickly. And rather than living in fear of that, that most of us do, what I'd hope for the next three weeks that we could begin to say, I'm going to live my life in a way that I will not regret when all is said and done and I'm at that bedside. I know that I did everything I could. I wasn't perfect. And I failed many times. And I repented and turned to the Lord. But I can truly say, I live my life with no regrets because I prioritize God's purposes in my life first and foremost because you don't know the day or the time, do you? Well, I do because I went to deathclock.com. <laughs> Apparently, March 18th, 2053, man, that's all she wrote. So you can begin praying for me now. I have just over a billion seconds left. And the truth is we have no idea, right? I flew a Legion airline last weekend. That could have been it. It's the airline, I would say that's the airline for pastors, right? We can afford it and it takes prayer to get there. So you know, you know you're on the right plane, but uh, I love them because they're cheap. And I'll, I'll share in a moment some things that happened while we were there. One day can change a lot, a lot. And I'll tell you, you know, I, uh, you don't know your day or time either. You could walk out of here and somebody could be angry at something I said and they just run you over in the parking lot, right? Like some of you could go home today and your home full of cats could just maul you out of anger and evilness. Wouldn't happen in my house because I'm a Christian and we don't allow cats in the home, but. <laughs> got some claps, I got some booze at the last service, so, you know. I, I, I will tell you, we don't know the day or the time, but in the book of James, and I'm gonna invite you now to turn to James chapter four, beginning of verse 13. I love the book of James. We've studied the whole book uh, at one point in our church. And I love it because as a Christian, it, if I can be blunt, it's a bit of a kick in the pants. Like time to get your act together. See, the book starts out in the first couple of chapters and it says, that's, that's great that you believe in your head in Jesus. But even the demons believe in Jesus and shudder. He goes in chapter two and he says, faith without deeds is dead. A little background on the book of James. James was the half-brother of Jesus who didn't always believe in him, but then surrendered his life, which would be really strange, right, when he's your half-brother. He becomes uh, the early leader of the church in Jerusalem. James becomes just an amazing man of God that changes the course of human history. 
And he writes this five chapter, uh, what we have as a book today, that is written in a way where he's contesting the Christians in his society and culture who had literally seen Jesus walk on the planet, how even they don't always live out what they're professing. Man, how much more do we need that today in American culture, right? Whereas a, a Christian, it's so easy over time just to become complacent. I might watch church online, occasionally attend the local service, might occasionally open up my Bible and pray at times, and I'm a good person and I don't do certain addictive sin issues that I know are bad, but beyond that, I don't get uncomfortably close to Jesus. See, when we first started Mercy Road, we would talk about getting uncomfortably close to Jesus on a regular basis. Because I truly believe that you and I can't really make an impact in our society unless we're willing to get uncomfortable for him. And that's how you live a life with no regrets. It's not easy. That's why most people don't do it. And in James chapter 4, see in chapter 3, he talks about taming even your tongue, that you can tell by what comes out of your mouth what's really going on in your soul. And and we believe as a church, it's by faith alone that we're saved, not by works so no one can boast, right? That's what Paul writes. We believe in faith alone and grace alone. And so that's the only one. There's nothing you and I could ever do that could make us right with the perfect God. We can't just be a good person and go to heaven when we die. It's only because of the crucifixion of Jesus, atoning for our mistakes, our, my, yours, our wrongdoing, that we could be in his presence. And it's not just that he was crucified. He rose on the third day, overcoming death itself, that you and I can live eternally in heaven if we believe and receive his grace and forgiveness and we repent of our wrongdoing and say, I'm fully yours. But the thing is, when you say you're fully his now, he empowers you with the Holy Spirit to go out, as we discussed in June, to go out and live out your spiritual gifts on a twofold mission to help those in need and to share your faith. That you know have the good news in a world that is suffering and angry and hateful and racist and sexist and wants to turn on each other over getting financial gain that you and I could be the love and kindness that the world needs. But we have to get uncomfortable to do it. We have to live a life of no regrets. And so by the time he gets to chapter 4, James writes this in verse 13. You ready to study God's word, church? Mm -hmm. Come on now, there's just a few verses and we're going to break them down in three really simple points this weekend. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow you will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Anybody make really good plans? If you're a planner, I don't know what it is. I naturally always live in like the future. (laughs) Like one day, right? I always live in the future. I'm always thinking about the next thing. And I love strategic stuff and I love, I love planning. The first time I took my wife out, I planned four dates in one man. It was like an 18-hour experience because like, I knew I, I needed to get her and that was my chance. So I, I love doing that stuff. But the truth is our plans are worthless. We can do all the planning in the world, but if we're not allowing God to use us in what we're presently in, the circumstances we presently find ourselves, we will miss out. We will miss out on all the good things he wants to use our lives to do. You know how this works. You go into work and your mind gets really so fixated on the things you need to accomplish and then you go home and your spouse or your kids or your your roommate, like you can't even participate in conversations because you're still at work, even though you're present at home. It's so common. Some couples that go out on dates and are still worrying so much about the children, they can't be present with the spouse that's right in front of them. 
What would it look like to begin to live in a way where you're not just living in the future, but you're present in the world around you? We'll end today talking about plan as if you're going to live forever, but live as if you're going to die tomorrow. This life is fleeting. Don't just make plans and say, I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this because the Lord may do something different. Verse 14, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Just like we've talked about here one day, gone the next. It's just a mist. As it is, excuse me, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. He goes so far as to say, all the great plans that you and I make for our life, it can become arrogant and boastful and even evil because it becomes about accomplishing our feats to make us great. Now, here's what I want to tell you. I also believe the psalmist writes that God desires to give you the desires of your heart. When he places the desire on there, you should pursue your passions and pioneer the future. It's what the Multiply Conference is all about, right? But I want to tell you, we do that because we're spending time with him and and his desires become our desires. And then we believe, God, use me because I, I could actually accomplish things, not because I'm great, but because he is. He can accomplish a lot in your life in a short period of time. He goes on in verse 17 and says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. I find most people who are at least somewhat familiar with church are very familiar of the sins that we shouldn't do. Like, you know, drugs or alcohol or sexual sin or the things that are so prevalent, greed, violence. And we often forget about the things that are good works that we ought to do that we don't do. I mean, it's really clear in scripture, calls it an actual sin there. Like, separates you from God. Another place in scripture, it says, when you see that person in need, that could be an angel or, or that Jesus says, there I am and you helped me or did not help me. And so what does it look like in your life with your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your spouse to actually love them in a way that changes their life? You have the power to do that very thing. The big question I want to ask you, we're going to pray, are you living a life with no regrets? Over these next three weeks together, are you living a life with no regrets? Will you pray with me? God, we pause and we just acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here with us. Now, some of us have come in here and we're not a Christian. We just thank you for those people, God. Some are attending online right now and they're just searching out what they believe. God, I believe you created each human being with a purpose and a plan for our life and we have the choice of whether or not to receive that and to live out your best purposes. And so wherever we're at spiritually, that today, even those of us who have been Christians for decades, would look at James 4 with fresh eyes and allow you to change us. Change us today. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I want to tell just a quick story to highlight that a lot can happen in a day. Would you agree with that? God can do really incredible things in a day if we allow him to. And also really evil things can happen in one day. God changed the course of human history in one day with Jesus' crucifixion. And again, with the resurrection of Jesus, changes everything. And one day he has an encounter with uh, Paul on the road to Damascus, changes the course of human history. We have a lot of the New Testament today because of that. God can do a lot in a day. He can use you to do a lot in a day. We could also do a lot of evil in a day. When I told you I was on vacation last week and, you know, as a pastor, you know, I'd 
doing it cheap. Somebody gave us a place to stay. My grandfather had a minivan we could use for free down there. So we took the three kiddos, went down to Florida, and we had a great week down there. But when we were ready to leave, we had to check out of the hotel at 10 o'clock, and we had to be at the airport. It took off at 5 o'clock. And so we went to burn a few hours at the mall. And we were having a good time with the kids. And my wife took the toddler to the restroom, left her phone and wallet in there, Realized it about two minutes later, ran back there, and it was gone. And we're supposed to get on a plane within hours. And so we're freaking out, like, it must be somewhere in the mall. We retrace all their steps, and finally we're like, why don't we check and find my phone? We turn Find My Phone app on, any iPhone users out there? And all we realize the phone is about a mile up the road. Now, I don't know if you've ever happened this. Now, initially, I was definitely freaked out. But as I ran through the mall as fast as my aging legs could take me, and I got to that minivan in the parking lot, and I hopped in, I started chasing the dot on the map. And suddenly, it got kind of exciting. I felt like Jason Bourne, man. I'm going to chase him down. going to tase him, throat chop, something. It's going to be awesome. And what I do, I start chasing. I won't tell you if I broke any laws because the laws have been broken against me first, so there's a pass, right? I was chasing him down the road for 45 minutes before I realized they're on a city bus making stops. And I waited until the city exchange where all the buses park and everybody got off the bus and they got off the bus but I didn't know which one it was. After I had called the police four times, they finally were willing to come out because they had stopped the bus. And as I was waiting on the police, I realized that these three people walked away from the bus stop towards Whole Foods and the dot was following them. So I started following from a distance, hiding (laughs) and lurking, man. And I got my phone out, I'm taking pictures behind them. I'm calling the police, they're here, they're in Whole Foods, you gotta get here. By the time the police showed up, the dot had stopped bleeding because I think they realized I was following them and they turned the phone off. And so I ran back to the, you got to get in here. You go, we're going to get him, guys. Come on. And we go back over. They enter, they, you know, pull him aside for about an hour. They search everything. They can't find anything. And my wife lost her phone and her wallet and her identification and anything she had in her wallet. Two hours, two and a half hours now until we need to get on the airplane to leave. And my wife is a half an hour across Sarasota. So I have to drive a half an hour. I pick her up. I speed over to the airport. We're so close now. My wife doesn't have identification. So she's going to take her a while to get through security. So I drop her and the kids off first. I run. I drive back to my grandfather's place, leave the car there. I get an Uber. And the Uber driver can't find the place. And then the second Uber driver can't find the place. And finally, it's about 190 degrees outside, 100% humidity, and I have to run 15 minutes down the road. I'm sweating profusely, finally getting an Uber just to make it there, and I get on the flight. All of this chaos because of one person's decision. By the way, we finally get to Indianapolis. You ever have a day like this? We get off the airplane, and my wife takes the two kids and stays with the baggage, and I take the older one. We're going to go get the car. We're pulling it around. We're all exhausted and tired. Apparently, while I was gone, Jet, the three-year-old, decided to run all over the entire airport. And my wife physically can't catch him anymore. And finally, after she reins him in, and they come out to stand by the curb so he doesn't run around the airport anymore, he comes out the door, and down the road, he sees a dead bird on the ground. 
And he runs over, she can't catch him, picks the dead bird up and goes, people, we have an emergency. We have an emergency. And my wife just totally loses it. Takes all the hand sanitizer we own and dumps it on him, right? And we just go home and go to bed like, Lord, what in the world happened this day? You ever have a day like that? Maybe not totally like that. I hope not. But a lot can happen in a day, can it? And see, I, I find that sometimes uh, we need to work at things, and it's going to take years to improve, but we also need to understand that God is not natural. He is supernatural, and he can do a lot in a day. He can change the course of human history. He can change your life in a day. And this life is short, and we don't know when our time is coming, and we need to value every breath we've got. We wake up in the morning, we roll out of bed, get down on our knees and say, this day is your Lord, use me. Use me this day. What I want to do in the short time we have together is just break this down in three very quick, simple points that today could be a turning point for you and for me. Some of you have been Christians a really long time. This could be a turning point. Some of you, you came in here, man, and you just came in the last few weeks and you're new to the whole church thing. This could be a turning point. Where you start saying, I'm not just going to believe in my head. I'm going to live this out like James talks about. You see, in verses, the first point I'd like to make is it could be a turning point if you turn when into now. I took these couple of points here from Pastor Craig Rochelle. I love this stuff. James 4, 13 says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow you will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Remember, we described this. Why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Be present. What's there now? Turn when into now. You ever live in the future so much? You're always talking about, yeah, someday I'm going to do that. You get a case of the some days? Someday, that stuff Darren was talking about the last two weeks, we're going to start working on that in our relationship someday. You know, someday when they change, I'll start changing. Right? It usually starts with us because you can't control the other person. Someday, I'm going to start living out the generosity that Pastor Darren talked about, or Pastor Dana talked about. Someday, I'm going to start actually allowing the spiritual gifts God's entrusted me with to use them. Someday, I'm going to prioritize prayer in my life. Look, I'm not telling you just to become a doer, but I'm telling you to allow God to be present in your life today. Turn when into now. This isn't just applied to this. This is all of us. I, I, just this few weeks ago, I had been multiple times, people have been coming to me and saying, Josh, it would really help us if you put everything down of how Mercy Road's a little unique, put it all in a little book, told our story, and when someone came to Mercy Road, they would have this, that they would know exactly what we're doing as a church. And I was like, that's brilliant. We should definitely do that. And so I took two days, I went and created an outline, all these postcards, I concisely put it into, you know, a page or two, and it was ready, organized for chapters, and then just had to go and do the real work of writing it. And I realized a few weeks ago, that was four years ago, four years ago. And when you ever have something like that happen, I was like, no, there's no, that was like six months ago, maybe last summer, it was four years ago. And some of you have been saying, someday, I'm going to do what God's calling me to do. I'm going to go start that outpost. I'm going to go get involved and rooted and take a next step in my faith. I'm going to become the person God desires for me to do. And look, I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. We're all busy, aren't we? And most of us just feel overwhelmed most of the time. But what would it look like to turn when into now, to turn someday into today? God can do a lot in a day. He can change addictive habits 
and you can say, someday I'm going to start eating right, and I'm going to start getting physical exercise and take care of the, the temple, the body that God has given me, and someday I'll do it. Someday I'm going to begin to prioritize my dating life in a way that I get healthy, but right now I'm just trying to get through life, right? And I, just, I can't change things right now. Turn when into now. Psalm, uh, excuse me, I want to ask you this question. What if you stopped worrying about tomorrow and started living for today in each of these areas? Started living for today. What would that look like in your life? See, the psalmist writes in Psalm 118, 24, uh, we know talking about the, the, the day of the Lord, the Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. The Lord can do a lot more than you and I can do in a day. Would you agree with that? And when you surrender your day to him, he can accomplish a lot. If you're present in what he's placed before you this day and not just lived in the next day. Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. We don't know uh, how our physical health is going to keep up, our emotional welfare, our psychological welfare. We can't control certain things sometimes in our life, but we can choose how we act every day in the circumstances that God has placed in our life. And sometimes we do it well, and sometimes we fail. See, I believe that God can do a lot in a day, and he can change your life. Number two, if you're taking notes, turn when into now, and turn intentions into actual actions. I mean, this is all over the book of James. And I think it's also here in verse 17 of chapter 4. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Like we discussed, like if you know you could help this person in need, and and you say, well, someday I'm going to do it, what if the Lord put that person, that family member, that friend, that neighbor in your life for that specific moment in time? I find I sometimes go, man, I'm just, I'm too busy to be present. And I think that's contrary to the gospel. And we got to be present with what God places in our lives. If we see a way to love somebody, to show kindness, to actually begin to live that out. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those whom it is due, when it is in your power to act. Like If you have the ability to act, the power to act, we should do it. I didn't say this at the other services, but I sometimes find that kind of ironic to me that I can talk as a white male that we don't speak up more often when it comes to racism in our culture. Because we clearly have the power and authority to do that. And I don't care where you span politically on all that kind of stuff. And I love our police officers, amen. But I'm telling you, like, when you have the power to do something, why would you not do it? That's just one of many examples that you could give in your life. If, like, you have the financial ability to make an impact that could change some one person's life, why would we not do that? If you have been discipled and you could actually mentor or disciple someone else, why would you not do that? It's usually because either we're too busy or we're afraid. We're afraid that we'll do it and it won't make the impact that we desired. I don't want to live in fear. And I just want to tell you, you know, a couple of things. First of all, uh, really excited. You guys heard that Pastor Brandon Faust has joined our staff His first weekend is next weekend. Him and his wife, Lisa, and their cute daughter uh, will be joining our church family. We'll be introducing them next weekend. Brandon will be on the stage, at least. And so I'm super excited for them, as Brandon's whole role is to start our our micro churches, our outposts all over the city. 
that we truly empower them to live on mission, apply for grants, and he's already got several of them that he may be helping get started in the next month or two. And so be praying. We want to see hundreds of these communities living on mission all over the city, and you can apply for financial grants in order to live on mission in that way. We truly believe in the priesthood of all believers to empower you. Yes, you, you have the, every bit as much the Holy Spirit in your life. If you know Jesus and receive that into your life, as anybody that will be up on a stage this weekend, he can use you. But you got to turn when into now, you got to turn intentions into actions. We have a vision for hundreds of these in the next two years all over the metropolitan area. We're going to begin to resource them in ways we haven't in the past. We eventually want to provide graphic design work and videography work and branding help and create a common workspace for those who are trying to start either new nonprofits or social enterprises, which are businesses that are going for common good. And so maybe you have a vision for what that could look like in your life. And we're trying to find space where we could actually have those come and meet and you could lease a small office space and be able to start new initiatives to expand the kingdom of God in our lifetime today. I hope it gets you super pumped and excited because Brandon is going to be a a big part of that. But it's not just that. We've shared uh, that we intend to start a Fishers campus, that our campuses will all become separate churches. We'll continue to plant through uh, Multiply Indiana. We've partnered with now eight church plants and maybe a ninth soon. You'll hear from two of them, Labor Day weekend. And we're going to continue to do that rapidly. But we're also going to send out planters from within Mercy Road to plant Mercy Road campuses, which will become their own churches within five years. And the campus pastor will become the lead pastor And they'll have the DNA of the outposts and huddles and giving away one day 50% of the resources that come in will go outside of the walls and all of those things. And it gets us really excited. And we've realized God's done some stuff over the last few months as we've been praying and seeking the Lord really over the last nine months that we didn't even plan. And we may not just do one campus at some point. And we, we got a vision for what it would look like if we actually believed this stuff. And it's, it's ironic. I, some stuff happened in the last two weeks that none of us planned. It wasn't on my agenda. I was on vacation. And we come back and like all these things are happening that we didn't even plan. And yet it's the present. I'm literally getting ready to preach this message that I had planned earlier. <laughs> and it's everything that we're going to be talking about. I was like, okay, God, we just got to figure out what you're up to, and we got to join with you. We can make all the plans we want, but we got to be present to what you're doing in the world. And so I want to tell you, we have a couple of emergency meetings. Uh, it's all good stuff, but emergency meetings. And the first one, we're having an emergency directional leaders meeting this coming Tuesday at 6.30 right here at the building. If you're a directional leader, you oversee a team here, you'll get an email about this. We literally made this meeting last night. So that's why you don't know about it. And uh, 6.30 right here. If you can't make it, I understand. We'll do our best. It's just I want to get this out there as quickly as we can. The Fishers Campus team, if you are interested in launching the Fishers Geist area campus, we're going to have another emergency meeting Wednesday night at 6.30. Uh, Both of these will be here at the Hub. So just encourage you to to come out. The Hub is the room with the barn doors out in the lobby. And so uh, we got some stuff. We're literally living this out right now. And we're going to begin things we've been talking about over the last three years since we came into this facility of, okay, God, we've got a great healthy church of about a thousand people now, and you're doing all this stuff in the community, and we're expanding outposts, and we're, we're going to live on mission. And now we want to begin to replicate that. And it's not going to revolve around me. And it's not going to revolve around Eric or Darren or Aaron. It's going to revolve around you. So I just want to tell you now, this is a, there's no ask today, but over the next few months, 
We need you. If you're new here, you don't know a lot of people, you have come to the right place at the right time, we're going to need you. We're going to need you to help volunteer. We're going to need you to lead. We're going to need you to say, I'm going to start an outpost. I'm going to be a rooted facilitator. Uh, we're, we're going to need you big time. We're going to need some of you there. Like, I want to go plant another church with you. We're going to need you. And we're going to have to stop looking at church as this nostalgic place where I go out and I meet friends who are Christians and start looking at it as a community that is genuinely living on mission, changing our culture because people are dying spiritually, man. They are dying. And no one does anything about it. And we try, we do, we try, but it won't really change until you and I say, God, use me, not someday in the future when I got all my act together, but today. Today. We turn intentions into actions. We turn when into now. The last thing I'm going to share, I'm going to invite the band to come up here, number three, that we're going to turn my whole heart toward Jesus. I love Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, he, uh, there's this passage where they challenge Jesus, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And you guys know this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and being, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, those are the two. And the guy responds, well, yeah, that's great. I totally agree. And Jesus says this line that says, verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any questions. And I always read that as like, yeah, you got it right. You were listening. And I do think some of that's going in. And I don't want to read too much into this passage. But I do find it interesting. He says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. While other times he's proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's almost as if, yeah, you have the knowledge, but you're not living it. And I'm afraid that there will be a lot of Christians in our society today that are not far from the kingdom of God. They know Jesus, they love him, they have salvation, and they're going to heaven when they die, but the actions just don't follow suit. And they're just wasting the time that God has given us on this planet to do something about it. Look at verse 15 in James chapter 4 as we close out. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. To say, God, my plans, I don't want them to be my plans, I'm gonna be your plans. Make your desires my desires. I surrender my will to you. That's not easy. It's saying, I don't feel like loving this person anymore, but I'm going to learn how because I know that's your will for my life. It's saying, I know that I work hard all day to earn resources and I want to go out and use them and then there's nothing wrong with using what God has given you so long as you're prioritizing his purposes first and say, Lord, let your will, not what my will be done. When you see that person and you realize, I don't want to get that uncomfortable to really invest in their life, you say, no, I'm going to do it today. It's when you say, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to do the counseling. I'm going to stop avoiding it. Yeah, I'm going to start living out financial peace. Yeah, I'm going to go to Rooted. I'm going to invest. Yeah, I'm going to start getting involved in an outpost. I'm going to start, stop attending churches and start picking one and getting involved. Like those are when God can begin to use your actions. And just as they kind of play quietly in the background here, I want you to write this, answer this question. Please, humor me today. Pull out your program. Come on, man, do this for me. Help me out here. I know a lot of us, if I was sitting there, I'd be like, I ain't doing, I ain't doing anything you tell me to do. I'm gonna do what I want. Oh, open up the program. There's a little space where you can take notes. Pull, there should be a pen in the book rack. If there's not, just write it in your own blood. And write down... 
five answers to this question. If you were going to turn your whole heart towards Jesus, what would need to change now? Not someday. What would need to change now? Because that's what you and I should prioritize in our faith. That's what we should start doing. And it's only when we change those things that God can begin to fully use us. I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to start prioritizing sleep more. I'm going to start prioritizing prayer more. I'm going to start getting involved. And I'm going to start going to counseling. I'm going to start, start, start. I'm not someday anymore. Plan as if you'll live forever, but live as if you'll die tomorrow. And as we close in worship, I do want to acknowledge throughout these next couple of weeks together that the reason we don't do this a lot of times and you won't do the five things on your list is because the enemy loves to use fear and doubt. And we become afraid that we'd never really be able to do the things that are on there or we don't really want to do it because it's going to be kind of painful. I get it, man. I'm not any different than you. But what I do want to do is I don't want to live as a slave to that fear that the enemy uses anymore. Because I am a son of the living God and he can accomplish a lot in a day. And he can change my life and he can change your life too. And those five things on that list, he could actually accomplish them if we allow him to. And I believe at the heart of James chapter 4, throughout the entire book leading up to that, he's saying, guys, you don't get it. You know Jesus. You have the good news to a dying world. Begin to live that out because the world needs it. Live your life in a way when all is said and done, you have no regrets. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We declare you Lord of this church. In humility, God, we say that no one in here is great, only you are. And we say, God, but you could use us to accomplish incredible things. And so right now, some of us, we have been Christians for a while. We just need to surrender some things on our list to him. Will you do that right now? Just the quietness of this moment, not out loud. Just confess what you need to surrender over to him. God, change us. We repent that these things aren't natural. We ask for your forgiveness, God. We pray we begin to live this out and our intentions will become actions. And then for some of us, God, we've been around church. We, we came in here today and we weren't sure what we were getting into. And, and you've heard that you were created with a purpose and a plan for your life and that it shouldn't be just to believe that Jesus died, but that you could actually see God use your life and you want to become someone who lives on mission for him and you're going to surrender your life to him, whether for the first time or to commit your life to him. I'm going to invite you, pray this with me. God, I admit I'm not perfect, but you are. And so on this day, I surrender my whole heart to you, Jesus. I believe and receive your grace and forgiveness. I repent of my wrongdoing. And now I surrender my entire life to you. We love you, Jesus. We give you our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.